I'm Bianca, and I'm Gen Z. I'm Molly, a millennial. I am Arnisha, Generation X. And I'm Micah, the Boomer. We, we are, are Day Talk. Talk. Four women, four generations, and four unique points of view. All right. Hello to all our listeners. Thanks for tuning in to today's Dame Talk podcast. Welcome back. This is Dame Bianca speaking, and we have a really special guest today, um, Nancy Chavetta. Is that how I say your last name? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Nancy Chavetta is the shellfish constable for Wellfleet, Massachusetts. And to those of you who don't know what that looks like. I'm going to ask Nancy to talk a little bit about who she is, her job. You can go into your background, whatever, um, whatever you want to share today and, and sort of talk about who you are. So this is a part of our sustainability series. So for those of you who don't know, shellfish work, uh, both recreational shellfish, shellfishing and commercial shellfishing um, does have to do with uh, sustainable communities. So it's really cool. Um, really cool position to be in, I think. So go ahead and introduce yourself, Nancy. Okay. I am Nancy Chivetta. I am the shellfish constable for the little town of uh, Wellfleet on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. I um, was a summer kid growing up here and ended up hanging around with the locals. And uh, it is a town that is just uh, steeped in, it, it used to be even more steeped in the fishing industry, and then shellfish aquaculture really took off, uh, which is an amazing uh, way for people to continue to make their lives on the water, even as uh, open water fisheries changed. So uh, Cape Cod had a lot of open water fisheries, and some of those have, um, due to many reasons, including, you know, warming waters and uh, different kind of industries that were allowed in um, a growing seal population, overfishing, a bunch of different things happened that that caused a lot of the nearshore fisheries uh, to get depleted, let's say. And um, while we still do have some active fishing ports in Provincetown on the tip of the Cape and Chatham and Sandwich, uh, whereas there were many, many more uh, fishermen um, in the past. Uh, one thing that makes Wellfleet unique is that there was a development, I think probably the very first in Massachusetts, development of aquaculture, which allowed offshore fishermen to then be able to continue to make their lives on the water, but in the intertidal area. So as the tide ebbs and flows, it uncovers uh, sand and, and, and different um, subterranean bottom and then the water covers it up and it ends up uh, being a wonderful place for aquaculture. Uh, Wellfleet Harbor is blessed with naturally reproductive waters for uh, oysters and quahog clams. Uh, oysters is really a, a phenomenal and uh, unique uh, reproduction that we have here. Uh, it just doesn't happen everywhere. And there's something special about this harbor and perhaps uh, the tides and the currents and who knows what, but where there's natural wild oyster reproduction year in and year out. And of course, mother nature is mother nature. So uh, that changes from year to year, 
but it's something that is certainly a blessing and makes uh, my job a little easier. So uh, in being a constable, what you are is basically uh, both a fisheries manager and a fisheries enforcer. So on the one hand, we are charged with ensuring that uh, we help mother nature along, uh, or let's say we supplement what mother nature provides naturally in Wellfleet Harbor by buying our own uh, shellfish seed, they call them. Uh, so juvenile baby, tiny, you know, smaller than a, a fingernail um, uh, juvenile, either oysters or clams, quahog clams. And we plant those and we grow them out uh, to a size that is resistant to predators. And then we will put those around the harbor uh, to be to finish growing as a wild um, animal. And then that is, they will be then harvested by both recreational and commercial uh, shell fishermen. So that's just like one part of the, uh, let's just say nursery operations. It's the formal name is called propagation. So propagation activities. Uh, the other part of our job is as people go out to harvest these shellfish, there's certain rules and regulations that they need to follow and it's our job uh, to inspect and check and make sure that they're being followed. For example, an oyster needs to be three inches long before you can harvest it. And this is because you are reasonably sure that once an oyster has reached three inches, uh, it has spawned and created and uh, contributed to the uh, wild reproduction in Wellfleet Harbor. Uh, for quahogs, they have to be one inch across the hinge. So you kind of sit the quahog uh, bottom up on a gauge that's an inch wide. And if it doesn't pass through the gauge, if it sits on top, then you know um, that it is legal to take. Uh, steamers, soft shell clams have to be two inches long and sea, uh, sea clams have to be five inches long. We don't really have many sea clams or um, uh, steamers here in Wellfleet. We, I would say that the bulk of our uh, commercial and certainly recreational uh, harvesting is focused on oysters and cohot clams, which are the um, hard shell clams. Sometimes you'll hear them called little necks, top necks, chowders, cherry stones. Um, and there's another uh, recent, probably within the last decade or so, uh, occurrence of a naturally uh, a natural, just naturally occurred here is called a blood clam. And uh, it's, I think, called a blood arc or a ponderous arc. And these actually do have hemoglobin. They're quite popular in Asian and um, I think um, other types of ethnicities uh, do eat these clams, certainly very popular in, in Asian markets. And so this has been, because Wellfleet's one of the only places that has them, the fishermen, this is pr primarily done by uh, boat uh, dragging a, um, a cage across the bottom, if you will. And uh, these kind of sit on top, mostly on top of, of the surface. And uh, they, they command a very good price. And so there's been quite a expanding fishery here in Wellfleet Harbor for them. And it really helps a uh, boat uh, captain make a good living because now they have three different uh, types of uh, shellfish that they can bring to 
to port and that they can harvest. In addition, in the winter months, starting October 1st and finishing, I believe it's uh, March 31st, we have bay scallops here. And again, very cyclical. So not every year can we rely on bay scallops, but for example, last year in 2019, very, very abundant fishery and the fishermen here in boats did very well. So um, some of the, the, the job is just making sure that uh, people are respecting the laws. You know, you're allowed to take a certain amount per day or per week if you're a recreational fisherman. You have to check the limits. You check the sizes. Uh, you check openings and closings. Not every area is open at the same time. But, um, you know, people also refer to us as clam cops. So <laughs> um, part of our job is enforcement. Uh, but it's, it's a very interesting dynamic because I feel the most, I've only been in this job for a little over three years, so I have a lot to learn. Um, but one thing that I know is that this job, uh, the most that you have to learn about is mother nature and human nature. And it's really about uh, getting to know people, how they work. Um, it's, it's having a thick skin. People are not always happy with what you might have to say. Uh, and it's also being a good listener because the, I work with people that have been doing this for decades, um, sometimes for 30, 40, 50 years. So I certainly as a newcomer um, have so very much to learn. And then with mother nature, you know, un, never predictable. Uh, we're always trying with weather reports and, and uh, forecasts and whatnot. We're always trying to stay a step ahead, but honestly, you know, you, you are always at the, uh, you're always beholden, let's say, to Mother Nature. So there's a lot to learn there and trying to keep a step ahead or at least in sync with her is really important as you know you explore what your job is. Um, that's fascinating. I had I didn't I actually didn't even know that um, your job existed. So I have <laughs> so many questions, so many questions. Um, first of all, how did you what was your career path to get you to where you are? Um, and was there anything special that you studied? Uh, in college um, in order to help you take on the role? Um, I would say that I have a very um, uncommon path towards this job. I didn't study marine biology. I, um, I, 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 really, I was a psychology major. I ended up moving to Italy because I had done a, a year abroad over there and uh, really kind of specialized in communication. I'm bilingual. I speak Italian fluently. And and then I, when I moved back to the States, I ended up starting my own business in public relations. And through there, I started to work with chefs and I got involved in the sustainable seafood movement right when it was really coming into being. So I ended up working um, with different, um, let's say, uh, non-governmental uh, organizations, so aquariums and, and other uh, sustainable seafood organizations. And, uh, and through that work, they always wanted to kind of work in sync if possible with fishermen, because again, you learn what you need to know about what happens on the water through people who spend their lives out there, not behind a desk. So the smart thing to do is to kind of partner with fishermen so that you can learn and try and make good choices uh, along the way. 
So I worked with a couple of different um, environmental organizations, and then I went and worked uh, for a large uh, environmental organization. And then from there, I went and worked with a, a local Cape Cod uh, fishermen's organization called the Cape Cod Commercial Fishermen's Alliance. And that's when I really started to learn more about fisheries management. And so I'm a fisheries manager. I need to make sure that we have sustainable fisheries for today, enough shellfish that everybody can get what they want to A, make a living or B, feed their families. Um, and you know, for a recreational person, bring home for their tables, uh, but also for tomorrow. So that's one reason why you know you can't take small shellfish because otherwise you're not going to have any spawners out there to contribute to the natural reproduction. And I think that's where kind of I, I cut my teeth on, on what it means to be a fisheries manager. In addition, because I was really focused on communicating, I had to learn a lot about um, a lot of different fisheries. And it, that just fascinated me. And the more, you know, first I would learn about cod and, and other bottom dwelling fish. And then I moved on to work on uh, dogfish or, and it just was, you know, every single time I, I just was so motivated and passionate about learning the next thing. And that's what really, I think, kept my drive up. Also the reward of working with fishermen and learning from people who make their lives on the water. It's a very independent spirited uh, group of people, very innovative. Um, you know, they just turn, they look for solutions to problems. They don't wallow. Fisheries have uh, over the past decades become extremely regulated where it used to be just go out and get fish and bring it to, to port. Um, and it's just not like that anymore. It is the last wild food that we eat. And you know, I'm proud to say that the United States has some of the most sustainably managed fisheries in the world. In fact, if people ask me, well, what kind of seafood to buy USA? because we have strong policies and we have fishermen that abide by the rules. You know, the, what I feel about my job is that most people are very good people making a living in a very hard industry. And uh, they are hardworking and they are, um, you know, quite inspirational when you, when you walk out on the flats and you have a conversation. I've never left a conversation with a fisherman where I didn't learn something or a shell fisherman. So, um, I was working for this uh, nonprofit in, in, on Cape Cod and the job of shellfish constable came up. I had been volunteering for probably 15 years or so, uh, maybe more, with a nonprofit called uh, Shellfish Promotion and Tasting, which produces the annual Wellfleet Oyster Fest. So I had, I had prepared um, events to teach people about, you know, miroir, about how different oysters from even within Wellfleet Harbor can taste differently. I ran the shuck off. So I had, uh, which is like a oyster shucking contest, which was such a, is always such a blast. Um, and so I had really made good alliances and I had, uh, and built relationships with shell fishermen. And I thought this is the perfect job for me. Uh, I have enough of a background now about fishery management. I'm a good communicator and a good listener, which I think is really kind of the cornerstone of, of learning a new career or learning a new job. Uh, and so I put my hat in the ring and it was a, a very difficult um, interview process, all publicly conducted. Uh, if, you know, in front of everybody because it's a municipal position, so it's a governmental position. 
And uh, even though I think that there were some people that just thought I didn't have enough of a marine biology background or working in the shellfishing industry. Uh, so some people were not a fan of me, but the select board gave me their confidence and their vote. And uh, you know, I'd like to think that I have proven people uh, right in the risk that they took on me because I really dove in and I'm trying to learn as much as I can and I don't pretend to have answers. You know, it's all about learning. And uh, of course, I'm going to make mistakes, which I have uh, along the way. And, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it takes a while for people to get over that mistake. But by and large, I find uh, most of the most of the fishermen that I work with, uh, you know, they'll give me a piece of their mind, which I deserve. And I'll <laughs> learn from that. And then, you know, I think once people get it off their chest and I'm out there still busting my hump and and really doing everything I can for the industry, you know, I found most people do come around and, and uh, you know, they're they're grateful or let's say interested at least to to work together again, you know, so but you do have to have a very thick skin and uh, it's good to have people with whom you can uh, just kind of vent and, and let it out. And I have an amazing uh, two people that work with me um, the assistant constable is Johnny Clam Mankovich, and the deputy constable is Chris Manula. Uh, Chris has been on the job, I think, 21 years, and Johnny 16. So it's just amazing to work with two people who have such an experience, you know, a, a very deep, rich experience in this town, um, both for, you know, the propagation and for the, um, you know, just the, the, the culture and the traditions in this town. So I have great, great teachers and mentors in them. And it, it makes it, uh, you know, a very, we have a very safe family, the three of us. And I just want to jump in here really quick because I don't think our listeners would know sort of the significance of the fact that you talk, uh, talked about uh, the wealthy oysters specifically, how there's wild communities. I think there's, correct me if I'm wrong, wealthy is the only um, shell fishery on Cape Cod that has wild oysters. Is that is that true, Nancy? I'm not sure if it's. I'm not sure if we have the only wild production. I believe that there's other towns that also have wild occurring shellfish, but we are the harbor. Um, I would say that lands the most wild oysters. Um, we have a year-round commercial and recreational fishery for wild oysters, uh, which right. no other town in Massachusetts, at least I believe does. So I think we're the only year round place in Massachusetts. Um, and we also so there's definitely, are, what? I was just gonna say, there's definitely some special sauce in Wellfleet. I wanted yeah. that to be clear to everybody that there's something really interesting going on with all of this stuff. And I didn't know anything about shellfish before I moved to the Cape. So hearing all of this and learning this from people like you has been really magical, truly, because even my mom, who is from, she grew up in Panama, the country, and she had heard of Wellfleet oysters. So it's just wow. really cool to me to be able to work with that stuff, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I will absolutely agree with you. There is something special about Wellfleet oysters. Um, they have been uh, in commerce for 400 years. You can, you know, way, way back in the 1800s, they were being served in, in Paris. You know, they have certainly a cultural heritage 
that makes them stand out. And then there's something special about the waters here. I mean, we have a, you know, a 10 to 12 foot tidal exchange every day, twice a day. So you're bringing all this nutrient rich, clean water into the harbor every day. So these oysters grow prolifically here. And they're just, you know, there just must be something special that people recognize them as tasting different from other oysters. And certainly, you know, being one of the very first aquaculture towns in the Commonwealth, um, you know, the, the, the amount of oysters that was produced here, I mean, we're not number one in aquaculture anymore, but uh, I think we produced 10 million oysters in 2019 or 2018, wow. uh, aquaculturally reared. So farmed oysters, 10 million, you know, we're a town of 3,100 people. So it's, it's quite amazing. It's, it's a very, we are number one in the state for uh, shellfish landings in the Commonwealth. And that includes everything from broad clams and quahogs to bay scallops and oysters and everything in between. Um, but it's a pretty, these are all species that are managed by the town. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, big weight to carry on your shoulder to know that you're in charge of making sure that this is successful today as well as tomorrow for future generations, for the young kids coming into the industry. Yeah. So, and you're making me hungry actually, because I love oysters and mm. I actually know the Wellesley, Wellesley oyster. I just had, now I can make the connection and it is delicious. Like really, <laughs> I really want some now, but um, uh, I wanted to, one, it, from my perspective, and fishermen, they call them fishermen, it's like mostly male-dominated industry. Mm. Um, and you, uh, I don't know about the constables in Massachusetts, if that's also more male-dominated. Can you touch a little bit about you being a woman working in this industry and, and having, you know, any challenges from that perspective? Well, um, I am the first female constable for Wellfleet, but I am not by any stretch of the imagination the first uh, woman to serve in this position. Uh, there's a woman who served in, in Chatham many, many, many years ago, and I'm embarrassed that I'm forgetting her name, but currently there's a woman there named Renee Gagne. Um, there's, there's a lot of female shellfish constables on Cape Cod, and so it's great because when I first started the job, you know, you just knew, and I do reach out to them very often. And really most of the time, I'm reaching out for technical questions, not for female and a male dominated industry questions. Um, sometimes that comes up, but uh, I have not really, I guess I'm just somebody that I'm just going to let it go. It, I, you're going to run into people that maybe don't believe that a woman should be in this job. And my feeling is, okay, I'm not, if you don't want to recognize me, I'm just going to, you know, let you be. I'm not going to antagonize you. I'm just going to do my job. Um, and so I just try not to take that stuff to heart. I've never really felt that I've been discriminated against or treated poorly because I was a woman. And that might just be too, because I have a thick skin and I'm not gonna look at myself as being any different from anybody else. Um, but you know, it is the first uh, female in Wellfleet and I'm proud of that. And uh, you know, I really like 
being one of the boys. And, uh, you know, I really enjoy the physical labor of my job. And I absolutely love working outside. And um, I guess, I guess uh, it doesn't, I've had some conversations about it, but I can probably count them on one hand. And I feel like that is a testament to just how far um, the industry has changed and how far women have come where it's just not that big of a deal anymore. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Makes me happier about eating the oysters. <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of, you know, there's, there's women involved in this industry. I think that when you get involved in the fisheries, you are somebody who likes to run your own show, doesn't want to really answer to anybody, uh, very independently motivated. So you might not even realize that there's so many women in the industry. They just don't talk about it. But when you go out on the flats, yeah, they're not making up the majority, but there's plenty. There's plenty. And I didn't even know it living right here in town until I took the job and started to, you know, go on patrol and, and, and realize that, wow, there are plenty of women in this field. And that's just, I think the nature of the job is just that uh, people fly solo. I feel like I almost find it more of a, a, the fact that I didn't expect there to be a lot of women in the shellfish, shellfisheries mm -hmm. is more a testament to the fact that I was expecting, you know, a, a lot more, um, I guess, sexism within industries like this. Whereas, and then I go out and I'm like, why am I surprised that I see all these women out on the oyster flats? Or I guess one thing that is sort of a confirmation bias thing is where I'm placed for my placement at the National Seashores, I'm technically under the maintenance area for, um, for the Cape Cod National Seashore. And I'm the only woman in mm. the entire maintenance area. Um, so, but what's funny is I didn't really think about it for the first couple weeks. Like I just, I didn't think too hard about the fact that like, oh my God, these are all these men and it's just me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's also, I think a testament to how well I've been treated at my job. And, and I wonder if part of that is because when it's a lot of physical labor type work, a lot of it, I think has to do with, can you just do it? Can you do the work? Are you able to complete your assignments? Are you able to be out there and getting stuff done? And, and if I am, people don't blink an eye at the fact that I'm a woman. Right. So that's at it's least like, been really nice to feel like I can prove myself just by doing a good job. That's right. And it doesn't mean that you have to lift the heaviest thing or do the most physically demanding thing. It's just the fact that you're, you're there can't. and you're pitching in. Me either. Me either. I'm kind of a small girl. I think I'm stronger than I am, but the truth is I'm out there and I'm, I'm pitching in and, uh, you know, I'll be the first one to, to sweep the deck of the boat. You know what I mean? I, I love all the dirty work, frankly. And so they're very happy about that. I'm also a neat freak. So that they laugh at me, but like, <laughs> and maybe I, don't I do know. all the jobs. Nobody else has to do. <laughs> I, I have a question about wild versus farm raised. Because mm -hmm. I'm going to the grocery store all the time and I'm like, I think I should be getting the wild stuff. 
not the farm stuff, right? And and so I don't know if that's marketing or if that's just my own, how I, you know, so I'd love for you to kind of share how we should be thinking when we're shopping as consumers. So I think that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to talk in like, oh, always buy wild or always buy farmed. Um, the truth is that shellfish are natural but they're filter feeders. So they are cleaning our waters, they're cleaning our estuaries. And, you know, farm shellfish of any kind is an amazing, you know, great choice. Absolutely. You know, I think where, where things get the wild versus farmed, I think that the farmed got a, um, the taint on farmed, I think comes from salmon farms, which in many ways, um, just, you know, from my previous work, I could say that, you know, it's a net loss to the protein in the ecosystem because there's, uh, you know, big fisheries for small fish, which then get turned into fish meal. And then it, there's just a lot going on with salmon. And I think they've gotten better over time. I'm not involved in it anymore. So I can't speak like I could have perhaps 10 years ago on it. Um, but, you know, farm salmon is, it's a carnivore, right? So, you're at a disadvantage when you're talking about a fish that's gonna need a lot more other fish that you're taking out of the ocean, which other fish should be eating um, just so that you can farm raise this. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you gotta feed people and fish are very healthy and good for you. So, you know, it's always a balancing act. And, um, but I think that I always try and ask a few questions. Like I have no problem buying wild local you know, Cape Cod seafood, because I know that it's well managed. And like I said earlier, USA, I feel like our fisheries are managed really well. But when you come to farmed, I mean, any kind of farmed shellfish is going to be a wonderful choice because they're uh, performing an ecolog ecological service. And that's um, shellfish specifically, just for all our listeners, because shellfish, as Nancy mentioned, are filter feeders, which means they actually take out bad stuff. Right. And so when you were, when a fish, a shellfish grows up, I also just learned this recently, obviously Nancy can talk about this better than I can, but when a shellfish is growing in the Wellfleet Harbor, for example, it's physically removing, you know, things that are in the runoff, for example, like bad nutrients that we want to remove from the harbor. And then when you remove that shellfish and eat it, it's actually a good thing because you're taking you're net removing all of the bad nutrients out of the water. So. Right. And it's not going to hurt you. They've metabolized it all, you know, but yeah, um, that's almost like, whoa, it's just, no, it's totally, I mean, and, and we have extra fishery shellfish is probably the most regulated of all seafoods. It is uh, traced by basically from the water to your table, no matter where you get it in a fish market at the grocery store or um, in a restaurant. So they, it's it very intensely managed and uh, there's water quality. I mean, we take people out on our boat every month to do water quality testing and um, you know, certain areas, even in Wellfleet, while they're open, there's a period of the year that they're closed. Um, for example, there's a lot of uh, water, waterfowl and wild animals in an area called the Herring River. So in the winter that closes, there's no real houses up there. Uh, but there, there is a, a lot of wildlife. So they, they close it in the time where they feel like this estuary gets heavily used. You know, you get migrating birds or whatever. Um, 
And, and so it's very, very tightly monitored and you can have absolute confidence in the shellfish that you eat. That said, shellfish get eaten raw, much of it. I mean, you cook clams a lot, but you can eat clams on the half shell and certainly oysters. I think we should all learn how to cook with oysters more because they're so delicious and it doesn't take much. You can steam them open in a minute. Um, but, you know, they are food that's eaten raw. So that's why they're so tightly monitored. So interesting, so helpful. And I too, like Micah, I'm getting very hungry <laughs> for yeah. these things. Um, it's so fascinating. So I'm curious, so as you've been talking a bit about your about your, your journey on how you got to where you are now, um, super fascinating to hear that you, you know, you, you weren't a marine biologist or you didn't, you know, set out in your career, you know, with this, this in mind. Um, but it's so interesting. We've had a number of entrepreneurs and different um, different folks on the podcast talking about their experience, um, and I always just kind of hear the same, some of the same kind of tips around like, you know, you mentioned listening, communications, learning, all of those things as you know things that helped you get to where you are. So I'm curious if you have, um, you know, along with those, if you have advice or if you have you know, tips on, on, I don't necessarily want to call them skills. They are skills, but they're, they're also just the things you do, you know, every day um, that might be helpful for, for listeners to think about regardless of, of industry or, or focus. Um, I think, you know, everybody's talking, oh, follow your passion. Well, I don't know. I didn't have any singular passion, but when I got excited about something, I did it. And I remember hearing that, I forget what it was called, but it's just like, you're constantly exploring new things. So I would say if something excites you, follow it. And then maybe you're going to encounter something else that's going to excite you and you're going to deviate from that and left it. That's what I did. You know, I never knew what I wanted to be. I never had some like drive. I'm going to do this in life. Um, but boy, have I had a really good time exploring so many different potential careers. For example, um, when I moved to Italy, when I very first moved over there and was studying, I was like, I am going to learn seven languages and be fluent and be able to talk in any country in the world or whatever, you know. Wow. And, and, and then I just <laughs> fell so in love with Italy, I could never leave. Um, and then I got involved in um, sporting events, believe it or not. I worked for World Cup 94 and the Olympics in Atlanta. This is amazing. I am going to just be a part of these amazing international sporting events for the rest of my life. Oh no, hold on a minute, because now I'm going to go do this. But I think following things that get you excited, um, it just rounds you out, right? I mean, you're just, you know a bit about a lot of different things. You don't have to be, um, you know, there's, there's a place for everybody in this world, right? You do need people that have extreme depth of knowledge on, on one thing. I mean, that's why we go to specialized surgeons for things in medicine. But, um, you know, there's just nothing wrong with following what gets you excited and then letting that take you to the next thing and the next thing. And maybe you're going to find something you're going to settle into it. Like, I have no intention of ever leaving this job. This is it for me. I love that I live in the little town that, as far as I'm concerned, I grew up in because uh, I really moved all over never really had, uh, never went to the same school for more than a few years, never lived in the same house for more than a few years, just moved, 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 but Wellfleet was my constant. So, 
you know, every summer we were here, it's the place that I know people have known me since I was a little kid. So this is my community and I feel so good about having found a rewarding job here. Um, but it's really important to get out there and explore. And if that ends up bringing you back home, great. And if it takes you a place where all your family comes to visit like me in Italy, that was really fun too. So I don't know. That's awesome. That's, that's great. I, I love the idea because I, I, I'm constantly, the, the, the dames have heard this uh, before, but I'm constantly thinking about, well, what am I, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, I'm yeah. so interested in so many different things and I've got a lot of passions. And so that kind of framing that of like, maybe it's not so much about following your, your specific, your one specific true passion. It's about following what gets you excited. I like that framing. I love that. And this idea of exploring and wonderful. Yeah. Sounds I have a great. couple other things I can say about that. So, um, you know, if you are doing something that gets you excited, it doesn't feel like work. And, and you know, and that is a double-edged sword, right? I work a lot. I look, I work a lot more than, uh, you know, than you do. I mean, I'm just kind of a workaholic because I love it. I always want to do one more thing, one more thing. Oh, I just want to try and do that. Um, the other thing is that you, as you kind of chart your waters um, in your professional career, I think that you need to kind of have a balance of like spontaneity, go get it, try something, take a risk, and then some thoughtfulness, like evaluate, make your list of pros and cons, be a little thoughtful about it. That's been my approach. Like I really like just sometimes diving into things, but it's always good to just like take a minute with yourself to uh, get centered, really think things through, ask yourself questions, make your pros and cons list so that it becomes even more evident. Like you have like a little backup to that passion mm. or you see a different door open for you. That's yeah. great. Yeah, that is... I, I think putting in the thoughtfulness, right? So it's like, don't go full charge ahead, wait, you know, because at the end of the day, we do have, people have to make a living, right? And yeah. so I think that's when the thoughtfulness comes in. Can I do this and afford my life? <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that can help with your decision process. So um, I, I think that was great advice. Thank you, Nancy. That was, oh, you're it's, a, yeah. it's a good way to wrap it up and 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 really like, give our listeners something to think about. Um, just your, your, your discussion has just been fascinating to me. I've learned a lot. And also just how you, like Molly said, how you came to be where you are now. I think it's an inspiration to our listeners and you know other women out there that are still exploring their careers and, and figuring it out. And I, I think we figure it out until we're not working anymore, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, one of the things that I was thinking about, um, you know, this is your sustainability series. And I think when we talk about sustainability, a lot of times we're talking about, you know, the environment and, and that's true. And this, but what I guess I've learned in this job is that sustainability is more than just about the fishery, right? It's, it is about it, but sustainability has lots of different areas. So um, you know, there's the cultural sustainability of this town and the heritage of this town and making sure that something that has been the lifeblood and is currently the number one year round industry. I think there's like 25% of working aged 
people in the town of Wellfleet make their living in the shellfishing industry here. So, you know, that cultural heritage, there's also the sustainability of making sure that this is a job and a way of life for people moving forward. And that goes hand in hand with like economic stability, because uh, sustainability, because this town is heav heavily reliant on tourism and we can be grateful for that. But when you look at the kind of makeup of the town, you wanna make sure that you have a year round, um, way of making the town whole, vibrant, economically sustainable. And shellfishing is, is the primary source of that. Um, and then I think just, um, you know, social responsibility here and making sure as we look forward, you know, our whole um, economy and this way of life is built upon clean waters. So, you know, we have to be socially responsible in how we manage not just the shell fishery, but how we allow development, how we treat our wastewater, how we um, allow people to put um, uh, revetments in. I mean, this job touches so many different facets of decisions that are made in this town. And this social responsibility is really important uh, to ensure like the sustainability of the town overall. So um, I think getting involved in sustainable careers, like it just doesn't have to be about ecology or environmental sustainability, keep an open mind because there's lots of other facets to that word. And I'm sure there's plenty of really exciting jobs out there too um, on, in these different facets. That's such a fantastic note to end on. Thank you so much, Nancy. And um, I hope our listeners do take that as a lesson is that sustainability is something that we should be working on um, to not just, we shouldn't be sacrificing things for sustainability. We should be working on a wholesome, a holistic, sustainable um, environment for every, for humans, for the natural world, for mm -hmm. the economy, all of, all of those things. So I like that a lot. So thank you again so much for joining our podcast today. This was, this has been fantastic. You're such a joy to talk to. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored that you contacted me. This was great. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's Dame Talk episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at dametalk4 at gmail.com. That's dametalk and the number four at gmail.com. To learn more about us and these topics, check out our website at dametalkpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at dametalkpodcast. Thanks for listening. This is Dame Talk. We don't know everything, but we know enough.